This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Don't forget, coming up top of the hour, we'll talk about the uh, Florida Panthers coming off that win last night against the Columbus Blue Jackets. George Richards will stop by from Florida Hockey Now. Also, Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca catches us up on, just checking my notes here, the Montreal Canadiens, Jerry Slavkovsky, Matin St. Louis, and the Waze app. Stay tuned for that story. Uh, in the meantime, joining us now, one of the uh, the brightest play-by-play voices in the NHL sky. He is Dan Dunleavy. No stranger, Dan, as you know to everyone listening on our Toronto affiliate 590 right now. You're one of the OGs. Uh, the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres, Dan Dunleavy, joins me now. Dan, how are you, pal? Jeff, I'm doing great. Nice to hear from you. How are things? Uh, things are good. And uh, yeah. here becomes a question for the Buffalo Sabres. And there's a lot. Um, boy, is yeah. there a lot to get into yeah. with Buffalo. Uh, did did Saturday feel like a, a course correction for the Buffalo Sabres? Like that, that was a game where, you know, each team had it. Each team gave it away. Uh, you know, they could have gone either way, back and forth. And some, you know, some seasons we would have seen the Buffalo Sabres collapse. In other seasons, we'd see the Toronto Maple Leafs collapse. What were the what were the takeaways that the Buffalo Sabres had from Saturday's game? Well, you know, coming off of the loss to Philly, which I think the to a, a, a player on the team would admit that that was not the effort that they want to put out on a nightly basis, or not even half the effort, really. You know, Flyers just blanketed the Sabres, and um, it just wasn't a good feeling after that loss to Philly after Buffalo went into Philadelphia and was pretty similarly outplayed, but the Sabres were able to score on their chances in Philadelphia and come away with a win after Carter Hart went out with an injury early in that one. So you come back to Buffalo, Philly does the same thing, which, as you know, uh, under Coach Tortorella, is just continue to press the puck and not give you a lot of room to move. Yeah. and. The Flyers might not score a lot of goal, but they're going to take away your time and space. So after being smothered like that, you knew against the Leafs that you were going to be into a little bit more of a free-flowing, open-style game where there there might be some more chances to make your offense work. So to your point, it was a bit of a course correction. I think a lot of it had to do with the opposition, and that's not saying that it's any lesser. It's just different. It was an open open game. And if you're going to give this Sabres group, as you well know, going to give this this group in Buffalo an open game even Rod Brindamore talked about it this morning in Carolina then the puck's going to be in the back of your net three or four times on any given game uh, and that's what the Leafs allowed Buffalo to do and yeah it was a bit of a correction in that way Dan Dunleavy with me here um, across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. It's Buffalo Sabres and the Carolina Hurricanes this evening. You know, one of the Buffalo's in that interesting collage of teams. And, you know, uh, I've you know maintained from the beginning of the season that they are the ones that have the best chance to distinguish themselves. And, and that group includes Detroit and Ottawa. And to, uh, to a certain extent as well, I guess we have to include Montreal considering their play, although of, of recent note, maybe not so much. Um, I've maintained that this is a team that has the potential to pull away from that pack. Uh, I'm assuming that you feel the same way. And if so, how do they do it? Like, how does this horse pull out in front of Detroit, out in front of Ottawa, and out in front of Montreal? Well, you know, I'm a realist, Jeff, <laughs> and you obviously, on, on our end, you, you hope to see these guys have success because you do think that they have the right, um, for lack of a better phrase, the right horses in the, in the barn here to, to accomplish what you want to accomplish, which is getting to the playoffs. I will say this, you know, I thought mm-hmm. what I heard from Eric Johnson early in the year was really important for this group. and. You know, you come into this group as a veteran like Eric, who's won with Colorado and has also been through some ups and downs in his career and has has a pretty quick look at the talent that's here in Buffalo and then realizes that, you know what, you can have all the talent in the world, and I've been on teams like this, but if we don't learn to play defensively as a five-man unit on the ice, and it's very cliche but so true, then we're going to put ourselves in harm's way every night and we're going to struggle to find stride and then hence the success that you're alluding to that you're searching for. There's no secret that the Sabres are a team that offensively is a group that wants to win the game by scoring goals. And I think by Eric pointing out that, look, you've got that here. You have that talent. It's, you know, from your Dylan Cousins, your Tage Thompsons, your Casey Middlestad emerging, uh, your Rasmus Dahlin, your Owen Powers, who continue to emerge in their career, to Jeff Skinner, um, you can, can, you know, JJ Paterka coming on. You're going to score. 
You need to find a way to defend as a group yep. and, and then push the puck up there. That's the secret to all the young teams' success, and I'm sure it's the same in Detroit and Ottawa to, to stick with the theme of your question. Um, there's no doubt mm. they have the players here to do it. There's no doubt that they have the coaching staff to do it. It's really just a mindset, I think, of the group that, and I think it's a real credit to Kevin Adams that he goes out and gets an Eric Johnson and realizes how important no matter what the term of the contract is in the, at the end of the day, that someone who's been through it is here. And it's not just Kyle Pozo that can say, if we don't play better D we don't defend in front of our own net. And if we leave our goalies out to play in a five, four game every night, <laughs> we might miss again by yeah. one point and it's going to be very frustrating. So let, let me, let me see Dan. I'm, so I'm talking to Dan Dunleavy, play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres. Let me see if I can push that a little bit farther or take it one step farther. So like I, yeah. I, I, I very seldom, if ever miss a Buffalo Sabres game. Like I, listen, I'm like you, I go back to the, the Ted Darling uh, era of the, of the Buffalo Sabres. Um, so I seldom miss a Sabres game. I, I enjoy watching them. And the one thing about this season specifically, and this sort of winks at what you're talking about here. I look at the Sabres this year so far, and I say, this is a this is a Buffalo Sabres team that relies on the second period to do their damage. We've seen them give up early leads in the first. Uh, we've seen them surrender goals in the third period at times very uncomfortably. Um, it, it seems like it's a team that, you know what, we do most of our damage in the second period and then try to hold on in the third. Is is any of that discussed? Do you see that as a thing with the Buffalo Sabres? Because I look around the NHL and there are some teams, you know, Anaheim comes to mind. They rely on a strong third period. And it seems as if the Buffalo yeah. Sabres are a team that relies on their dominance in the second. Well, it would be a factual point to now based on numbers, as you say, um, I don't know if it's something that they want to be known on a nightly basis. I think there certainly is. Um, we just got finished talking, Rob Ray and I to Alex talk about, you know, his point production and how he's kind of slowly growing back into the same Alex Tuck that was there for the majority of last year. And certainly through the end of the year where he being forced offensively to interesting. Okay, we're going to give Dan a buzz back. His phone's kind of cacking out on us. Let's get uh, uh, let's get Dan back on the phone here on a uh, on, on a cleaner line. Uh, and again, I don't think that's by design. I don't think that Don Granado is saying like, "All right, boys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give up a lead early. Uh, we can squander some goals in the third period, but the second period is ours. We need a really strong twenty minutes." And I'm just saying that that's the way that it seems to have worked out so far. This season, I don't think any of this is by design or that's the way the Buffalo Sabres intend on playing. Or like, here's how we're going to get the Carolina Hurricanes tonight. We're going to give up leads and we're going to surrender goals in the third. But the second period, ha, 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 that's all going to be ours. Twist mustache, damsel on the, on, the, on the train tracks. But that just seems to be the way that it's worked out this year so far for the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, they're in action tonight, one of 10 games on the go around the NHL uh, in action tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes. There, there's a lot here, too. Like, there's a... You know, Dan mentions, you know, all the players that are scoring and now Alex Tuck looks to be rounding into form. And I know everyone's crazy about Rasmus Sandin and Tage Thompson, et cetera, et cetera. Jack Quinn, when he's in the lineup, Dylan Cousins. I love Alex Tuck. To me, like Alex Tuck, you know, there's like, there's players and they're fancy and they score goals and the highlights and all that. Alex Tuck is a player. Like Alex Tuck is like a player's player. And you saw that right away after the uh, the trade with Vegas. He gets healthy, he gets in the lineup, and the whole complexion of the Buffalo Sabres team changes. Now, they have an explosive offense. They have a lot of players that can score and more on the horizon. Um, I wonder about uh, Isak Rosean in Rochester. I wonder about Yuri Kulik in Rochester as well. If they end up getting a sniff at all this season. Like, Buffalo's put themselves in a really good spot here. Like Buffalo Sabres have put themselves in a spot where, you know, the, not only are the Sabres pushing and pushing and pushing to get into the playoffs, but also the American Hockey League, the feeder team, or as they call the American Hockey League, the finishing school, the defensive finishing school for hockey players. Um, they're cranking out excellent players. 
the team last year was tremendous, had a really good run. Uh, I know I've you know banged this drum going back to last season. I think it was a missed opportunity not making Uka Pekalukanen available uh, to Rochester last year after the Buffalo Sabres season was done. Uh, I know they see him as an NHLer, but I look at all that valuable playoff time that Lukanen could have had last season on that run that Rochester went on. Uh, that went to Malcolm Subban instead because, again, they see him as an NHLer, uh, and that's where they want him to be, which does get us into the conversation about the goaltending. And as we're getting Dan Dunleavy back here on the line in a couple of seconds, we should probably pick up that conversation about teams getting in a rhythm. There's a lot of different ways you can get into a rhythm. There's a lot of ways you can get out of a rhythm as well. And one of the easiest ways to get out of a rhythm is have three goaltenders. Now, we know Eric Comrie is injured, um, and Devin Levi has had his injury situations as well. But, you know, I'll, I'll pick up the conversation here with, with Dan. Dan, is just sort of, you know, running through some of my, you know, rudimentary thoughts on, on the Buffalo Sabres, and I sort of talked myself into the conversation about the three goaltenders. If you don't mind, I'd like to pick up the conversation there about teams getting sure. in rhythms. And I know everyone's scared of goalie waivers right now because of Tampa. And last night probably didn't help that. But... um is it, you know, what's the plan here with the three goalie situation? Teams always talk about how they can manage it, but really no one likes it. It's not ideal. It's constant juggling and bouncing, and it makes it tough for everybody really to get into a rhythm. Do you have any idea what the what the yellow brick road is here for goaltenders in Buffalo? You know what, what the long-term yellow brick road is? I, I really wish I could, but I do know... Um, I mean, all I can speak to is conversations that we've had with uh, Kevin Adams, the general manager, is that he's, you know, he's he's really happy with the fact that there is a, a competition amongst really capable young goaltenders here, and that's really all three of them. I know Eric Comrie's been around for a little bit, but when you look at number of games played and, and experience in the league, he's got a little bit more, obviously, than the likes of Uko Pekalukun and, and um, Devin Levi, but he you know that you came into the season you're right it's it's kind of more of a i don't want to call it an inconvenient norm but there's so many things that are different about the game now and this three goalie reality out there and teams finding ways to make it work and yes it means a lot of shuffling and here and there but you are finding um that with injuries cropping up and whatever the science is behind that that having that depth is actually a strength which I agree with you. Sometimes mm-hmm. you could think, how do you find a rhythm? How do you find a rhythm with that? I, I'm 100% online with that. But at the end of the day, you know, right now you've had Devin Levi already uh, need to take some time off to get whatever right that was ailing him. He's back now. Um, Okopeka Lukanen uh, taking advantage of opportunities and playing, I thought, some really good hockey. Uh, obviously, uh, the last start didn't go his way, but I think all, all in all, he's played really well. Yeah. When Eric Comrie was playing, Coming out of camp, Eric Comrie, in my view, looked like the the best of the three. Just you know, and coming out of camp is just a moment in the yeah. season. So, to to answer your question on long term, I I wish I knew what that was going to be. I, um, <laughs> but you know, it's all listen. It's all um, it's money in the bank if you can have three goaltenders who can play and that are healthy. To everything you just mentioned and with what's going on around the league and. Even we're here in Carolina where they've had to, to go fishing to find oh. Halak and put them on a PTO. So, you know, if at some point you got yeah. three healthy ones and, and they're all young and they're ready to play, I don't know how that's really – it might be an inconvenience in some ways, but it also – I think if you look at it as a strength of the other, that at some point if you got to make a move, you know, maybe that's part of your arsenal. I don't know. But uh, from a competition standpoint at Buffalo, uh, I know it's – it's nothing that's really hindering this team right now. I can say that much. Okay. Matthew Savoy, when do we see? Yeah. Yeah, good question. Uh, it won't be tonight uh, against Carolina. And I think you and I have seen enough hockey to think that that might be actually uh, a move that we would agree with. If you're going to get your yep. first game in, playing here might not be the place to do it. Not to say he wouldn't be up for it, but at the same time, you kind of know what's coming, and I think you want as many experienced bodies in there or not too many inexperienced maybe is a better way to put it 
Um, and, you know, the, the injury that was suffered in preseason two was one where it was a hit on the end boards uh, during uh, camp, actually, before we went to camp. And, you know, just one of those hits that didn't look like much, but it turned into something. And I think you're just trying to make sure that you pick the right spot for him to get in. But it's going to be soon. I don't think it's going to be that long. Apparently, uh, I didn't see any of his Rochester games, but certainly when you look at the numbers and number of games played and, and take a look at the player as a whole, that it certainly appears that he's earned the opportunity now to have his first look in the NHL, much like Brandon Byro did the other night, um, who did not look out of place, yep. you know, for a first game. Um, and you've got Lukas Rusek as well, who's in and out of the lineup here right now. So there's kind of a lot of firsts going on here, Jeff. So I think the staff is just probably juggling and making sure that they've got the right balance. Do you have it's interesting with the call-ups as well because I think a lot of people were worrying, were were wondering about if there's going to be call-ups. What about Kulich? Um, what about Rosean? Yep. If we had about thirty seconds for this one, Dan, uh, I was kind of surprised. Like, is there any chance that we see these two players getting called up? I would think there's always a chance with this organization right now because you know they all are considered legitimate prospects for this team. Um, the thing is, you, yes. it, I think you just got to pick your spots right now, right? You can't, you've, as I say, you've already got, uh, you've had Byro up here, you got Rusek here now, you got Savoy here now, so that's three. I mean, how many? At some point, I think to answer your question, yeah, I think we'll see him at some point. When that is, I'm not sure. I think a lot of it depends yeah. on the guys when they get their shots, what they do with them. Uh, and let's not forget, I haven't even mentioned Ryan Johnson's name, who looked fantastic, in my view, through all of camp and did not disappoint in his first game the other night. Sure, true. Uh, Dan, always a pleasure. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Buffalo Sabres facing off against the Carolina Hurricanes. We will be tuned in, my friend. We will be tuned in. Thanks, as always, for doing this. All right. Sorry about the ride there in the in the Uber, but have a great day. Oh. <laughs> Not a problem. Uh, the great Dan Dunleavy, play-by-play voice of the uh, of the Buffalo Sabers. Dan joins a a long proud tradition that began um, with Dave Hodge and Rick Azar. Uh, okay, time now for line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book bet local. Matt Marchese. Hello, Jeffrey. Uh, Devils at Avalanche tonight. Uh, Avs minus one and yes. a half. Devils are two and nine in the last eleven meetings in Colorado. Home team is five and two in the last seven meetings, and the under is 28, 21, eight and three in the last thirty-two meetings. This is the Miles Wood revenge game, and no Jack Hughes, no Nico Heischer, but that's okay. Mikey McLeod's been really good, and so has finally getting his first goal and his first point. Dawson Mercer in that game against the Chicago Blackhawks. This is the end of the New Jersey Devils four-game road trip. Uh, they will hustle home after maybe their toughest challenge here against a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. But still, without their top two centers, we'll see how that goes. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to the program. You know, we talk um, a lot about players that really don't get talked about a whole ton, but probably should. So we're about to have a conversation with, amongst other people, Carter Verhage of the Florida Panthers. Big win uh, for the Panthers last night. It took overtime. They rally uh, to beat the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets 5-4. to four. Firing 46 shots. Um, we'll get into the Florida Panthers here in a couple of moments. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the Montreal Canadiens, uh, the present and the future of that organization, and what does traffic app ways have to do with the Montreal Canadiens right now? Most specifically, former first overall draft pick, Yuri Slavkovsky, Eric Engels from sportsnet.ca, who has a great piece up, by the way, right now on Sean Monaghan. We should probably get into a conversation about yeah, Monaghan uh, as well. Um, Montreal has played uh, maybe a lot better than, than people have sus- uh, suspected they would. 5-4-2, uh, 12 points in 11 games. Not too shabby for the Montreal Canadiens, considering what expectations were to kick off the season. There are 10 games on the go around the NHL tonight. Uh, yesterday was a quiet evening. Tonight, not so much. I mentioned the Montreal Canadiens. They're in action against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa, disappointing, couldn't hold on to the 4-1 to lead last night against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, they do pick up a point, losing in overtime. However, 
Uh, they face off against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, we talked to Dan Dunleavy about the Buffalo Sabres and the Carolina Hurricanes. That's on the agenda. The Rangers always love... I always love watching Rangers games. That's a really exciting team, but uh, down a couple of players, most notably Adam Fox. That is a real tough one for the team. Fox having a Norris-type season. Uh, Neon-knee collision last week with Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes. And yes, all the subsequent issues that came off of that one, most notably uh, his refusal to fight either Jacob Truba or Alexi Lafreniere. Discuss amongst yourselves what the um, you know what the appropriate response would have been from Sebastian Ajo. Uh, I don't think anyone thought for a second he was going to fight any of those guys or anyone at all, and he didn't. Uh, but they're down Adam Fox, they're down Philip Heedle as well, and Igor Shosturkin, a little bit banged up too. So Jonathan Quick will get the start tonight for the New York Rangers. Louis Deming, spicy pork and rice. Was that his thing back in the playoffs a few years ago? Am I getting that right? Am I getting that wrong? Spicy pork and rice. Louis Domingue uh, will back up tonight for the New York Rangers in action against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Also, the Winnipeg Jets facing off against the St. Louis Blues. Seattle and Arizona. Seattle's an interesting story, right? I mean, just coming off that loss on the weekend against the Calgary Flames. Seattle, I think we all knew that the shooting percentage was going to, how shall we say, normalize a little bit. And, you know, it's tough playing in the National Hockey League. It's tough being a rookie. In the, this, put, put it this way. It's tough being a rookie in the National Hockey League. But as many rookies will tell you, the tougher thing is being a second-year player in the NHL. Matt Beniers, last year's Calder Trophy winner, still goalless. Has only four points in 12 games. We strongly suspected they would be challenged to score goals and produce offense. I don't know that we thought it would be this bad. All right. Uh, in the meantime, our good friend George Richards stopping by the program from Florida Hockey Now. Big win last night. And players like Carter Verhege front and center in it, beating the Columbus Blue Jackets by a final score of 5-4. to four. George, how are you today? Hey, what's happening? You doing all right? I'm doing good. How are you doing, George? Good. Just hanging around, you know, checking things out. Nice. How are, the, how, are the, how are the Florida Panthers doing after that, uh, that big win last night, headlined by, amongst other people, Anton Lundell, who continues. I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, but, you know, last night in a lot of ways was all about Carter Verhage, one of the more underrated players in the NHL. How did you see – I want to get to the, the Blue Liners returning eventually, but how did you see Carter Verhage's game last night? Uh, it was okay. I mean, he had, he got some things going. Um, you know, like Paul Maurice said, I mean, he's just got that clutch gene. I know, you know, none of us believe in that. Or some, you know, some of us do, but some of us don't. Um, mm. He just seems to score really big goals at big moments for the Panthers. And last night, again, he and Anton Lundell in the two-on-one uh, in overtime, he gets the uh, he gets the game-winning goal. And, um, you know, just a uh, – it's just – that's – kind of what Carter Verhege does for the Panthers these days. You know, when we look at the Florida Panthers, and I want to drill down on a couple of things here, but just sort of a a wide brush comment or a wide brush thought. When it comes to Florida, should we take a a wait-and-see approach on everything? I mean, right now they're still above, you know, it's an above 500 team. Uh, 6-4-1, and one, 13 points in 11 games, 591. Um, a dash one on the goal differential, however. Uh, how much do we just take a wait-and-see approach until Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad come back? And the follow-up question would be, when are Brandon Montour and Aaron Ekblad coming back, George Richards? Well, for sure. I think the Panthers just wanted to kind of, you know, uh, keep their head above water while those two guys were out, and they didn't expect Sam Bennett to be out. And he's been out, too. So that's yeah. three uh, That's three A1 players that the Panthers have been missing since day one of this season. Uh, they got, you know, a period and a half from Bennett before he re-injured himself. And um, so that's been key. So the Panthers have been playing – um, you know, last night they jump out to a 3 nothing lead. They're out shooting Columbus 21-1. We haven't seen, you know, this from the Panthers all season. And then it goes back to, to, the, mm-hmm. to the Panthers of today where it, it, it's a 3-3 game. Uh, it's a 4-3 game. They're behind with 50 seconds left. And, and it's just like they can't put anyone away. And it doesn't seem like they care all that much. Now, as far as 
bringing Montour and Ekblad back. They've been skating with the team. They've been uh, in full practices. Uh, you know, Paul Maurice said they'd be in no-contact jerseys. I talked to Aaron Ekblad that day. He goes, I'm not wearing one of those. And they haven't. They have not wore the non-contact. <laughs> so they're ready to go as soon yeah. as the doctors clear them. Um, I think, you know, Montour will be back. If I had to guess, 10 days to a two weeks tops for Montour, maybe three for Ekblad. So we're looking at U.S. Thanksgiving, 1st of December, perhaps for both guys. Um, so what's the cascading effect then? So, I mean, listen, great thing that, um, that they introduced their top two defensemen yep. back into the mix. And I, I know health is always the wild card here, and that may just you know necessitate what the decisions are. But when they do come back, what are the decisions? If two are coming in, which two are going out? Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a tough decision, I think, for for Bill Zito and and, and the rest of that front office because um, right now they've got seven defensemen up here um, at the NHL level. You've got Mike Riley. Um, you know, for a lot of the Boston fans know him. He he finally got into a game yesterday. It was his first game of the season. Um, Uvis Belinskis. He's not waiver eligible, so I could see him maybe moving down. Even though he's 27 years old, this is his first uh, North American season, so the Panthers could send him to the AHL without having to waive him. So that could be a move there. Um, we'll just have to see. And, and let's not forget that the Panthers are using $7 million on LTR with Aaron Ekblad. Um, so there's going to have to be someone else perhaps go because, um, you know, before he got put on LTIR, they were four hundred thousand under the cap, so that's not going to do it. Um, they're going to, you know, they might have to move two or three people down. Um, you know, spe- speaking of the cap, the uh, the Florida Panthers still have cap space and are still a competitive team in the NHL. Uh, how aggressive do you see Belzito being this season with this team by way of, you know, uh, bringing in reinforcements, bringing in new players? Um, yeah. They have the space. Uh, they have the team. Uh, last year they made it to the Stanley Cup final. I'm sure they'd love to go back. Thank you very much. How do you see Bill Zito working with the $6 million in cap space that he currently has? Well, again, once Aaron Eckwide comes back, you don't have that. So um, that that's why right. he was not. Oh, yeah, good that's point. why they were so quiet in free agency, you know what I mean? Because they knew, hey, we do have some money to spend, but we have to absorb Ekblad and Montour when they return. So it puts them in a little bit of a pickle. But, no, you know, not it's, it's a better situation than they were in last year where they started the season with 20 players and there were a couple times where they played down a man um, as, as a number of teams have had to do this season. Um, so they're okay that way. They at least will have an extra player. As far as being a great – I mean, Bill Zito's always looking to improve his team. There's you know, Nobody questions that. Does he have the assets? He probably doesn't, and that's why – Florida, you know, last year it was cap situation that the Panthers couldn't do anything at the deadline. This year it might be, what do the Panthers have to offer? You know what the prices are at the deadline. Um, they're completely inflated. Um, and for the Florida Panthers, they can't afford to play ball in that kind of a market because they don't have first-round picks. They've only got one, I think, second-round pick So um, it, for the next couple of years. So, you can only be so aggressive without those chips in your pocket. Are 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 they still paying the freight from going all in two years ago? I mean, I, I guess like the the irony we talked about yeah. this, you know, a lot last season. You know, one year after they went all in, uh, they almost went all the way uh, to the to winning sure. the Stanley Cup. Are they still paying paying the price for two years ago? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anytime you give up, um, you know, they gave up a, a top end prospect. Uh, to Philadelphia for Claude Giroux, not to mention a first-round pick. So the Flyers are getting that. Um, you know, they gave up a first round for, for Ben Sherratt. Um, you know, they, they, they gave up a lot. And, and you know what? I think people would have been ticked off if, if the Panthers lost in the second round of the Tampa Bay Lightning and had not gone after people um, at the deadline. Did they overpay? Sure, everybody overpays. But that was an opportunity the Panthers thought that they had to, to go for it, and they did. And, you know, you always pay for it. But it has not killed them, not by any stretch of the means. I mean, last year, you know, you had Montreal openly rooting against the Panthers, hoping that they might get that, lot, that non-protected 
pick in yeah. the first round. Florida ends up going to the playoffs, and, and, and it turns out to be, what, the 28th pick, 29th, big deal. It, that's what the Panthers thought it might be. They don't care. Uh, but, yeah, anytime you make those moves, yeah, you, you lose those assets. Has there been? I'm always curious about the bump that you get after you go to the Stanley Cup final, or you have a run like the Florida yeah. Panthers had. Um, how much of a, a bump in either you know attendance or just sales in general have the Florida Panthers enjoyed since their run last year? And you know Matthew Kachuk became a household name in the state. Yeah, I think I think we were talking about it last night post game. Um, I was speaking to a couple of folks that work, you know, like at the bars at the arena. And I was like, how'd you do last night? Or how'd you do tonight? Yeah, you know, not bad, not bad. It was a Monday night. It was against Columbus. And that might be the worst crowd the Panthers have. And it was like 17,000 people. I tend, Not that long ago, the Panthers were getting 11,000, 12,000 for games on a Monday night against a non-marquee opponent. So you see it now. You see the crowds, even on a Monday night with every with the Miami Heat, 20 miles away playing the Los Angeles Lakers, the Panthers are getting 17,000 against Columbus. That's big for Florida. That's really big. Um, and it's not yeah. just the Stanley Cup run, although that really helps. But it's the consistency. For the last three years, the Panthers have been in the playoffs. People are now starting to trust them, where that trust was never there when it came to the Panthers. Um, How much of a star is Matthew Kachuk right now, after what happened last season? Yeah, I mean, he's about as uh, recognizable as any hockey player has been in this market since, you know, John Van Beesbrook, you know, uh, or Roberto Luongo. Let's go with Roberto Luongo because, yeah, he was pretty recognizable. But, yeah, he uh, he's, uh, he's a guy that uh, I, I think slid under the radar up until the All-Star weekend last year here in uh, Fort Lauderdale, South Florida. And uh, now everybody knows, everybody in Fort Lauderdale knows him, and, and, and he's even mentioned that, that it was kind of fun in December, um, you know, kind of being able to be him, you know, now now he's pretty recognized. And um, good, it's, yeah. you know, it's great for the Panthers to have marketable stars. I mean, you've got really, really strong players in, in Aaron Ekblad, and you've got Brandon Montour, and you've got Sasha Barkov. But Matthew Kachuk, he's an A-lister, and uh, he, he he walks the walk, you know. He uh, he's 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 that red carpet dude, <laughs> and uh, he he loves every minute of it. And South, he's a, he's a South Florida guy. You could just you know he wears his elbow room shirt on the TNT set, and uh, people down here dig him. Let me ask you a question about an ex-Florida Panther that has drawn a lot of criticism. And is a real lightning rod, was last year and is already this season as well. When you see Jonathan Huberto playing with the Calgary Flames, knowing all the successes that he had with the Florida Panthers and how great he was for the number of years for the Florida Panthers, like what do Panthers, what 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 maybe people in the Panthers organization, Panthers fans, uh, your observations, George, as well? What's the feeling about Jonathan Huberto right now around the old team he used to play with? Um, there's no more popular fella in, in the world down here than, than Jonathan Huberto. Everyone absolutely loves the guy, uh, the, the, the person, right? The player as well. I mean, he, yeah. he did some incredible things here in South Florida. Um, and you look at his final season, um, you know, he had the best year of his career and, you know, really carried this team, you know, that run and gun Florida Panthers of 21, 22 was Jonathan Huberto. I mean, he just carried that team yeah. and no lead was safe. They were down four goals against, you know, I think it was San Jose one Saturday, they end up winning and, and, and Huberto's the catalyst for it. So um, everybody loves him. I, I think it's, it, it is tough for a lot of folks who, you know, to see what's going on there last year, you, you could kind of understand, I mean, um, tough situation, um, you know, with, with a coach that he probably didn't mesh real well with um, in Calgary, a new oh, yeah. situation there. <laughs> yeah, it's playing in the wrong position. So, you know, but this year, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Huberto is immensely talented. Um, it's going to come around. It's going to come around. 
I think the Flames certainly hope so, and uh, it seems like they're they'll continue to double down to try to make uh, to make that situation work. Uh, George, always a pleasure. Uh, tomorrow it's an old Southeast Division matchup with the Washington Capitals yeah. facing off against the Florida Panthers. Oh, Enjoy oh. it. We'll check back soon, pal. All right. We'll see you later. Be good. There he is, uh, George Richards from Florida Hockey. Now, uh, Florida wins last night in overtime against the Columbus Blue Jackets. They'll face off against the suddenly good Washington Capitals um, tomorrow, old Southeast Division matchup there. Hey, Maddie, I got something frivolous I want to talk to you about. You have a second? I've got plenty of seconds. What's up? Okay. So, uh, you use hockey reference, right? I do. It's great. Everybody uses Hockey Reference. It's a great, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a wonderful site. Uh, the Twitter feed is great as well. So this morning, uh, ten seventeen a.m. Eastern, get a note from Hockey Reference. Okay, they tweet this out. Big news: we've added player nicknames to Hockey Reference. What are some of your favorite NHL nicknames? And they they have a, a four square here of uh, players: Wayne Gretzky, the great one; Dominic Hasek, the Dominator; Sidney Crosby, Sid the Kid, and Gordy Howe, Uh-oh. whose nickname is Mr. Hockey. Mm-hmm. So there's um there's a really good story here. Maybe we should get into this one day on the show, just sort of do an ex- extended, extended bit on. We should probably do this with a number of different players, but maybe starting with Gordy Howe as well. The um the business of Gordy Howe, the marketing of Gordy Howe. Because, and I think a lot of this was um, was his wife Colleen, who was tremendous at understanding the value of Gordy, uh, understanding, with all due respect, a lot of the myths uh, about Gordy Howe, uh, and and how to market him post career. Um, and the one thing it's funny because it pops up Mr. Hockey, that's his nickname. I can recall a number of times. Uh, being on the radio and requesting interviews with Gordy Howe whenever we'd have a book out or a video or something that he was promoting. And one of the things that uh, the Howe camp always insisted on was if they were going to let Gordy do an interview, there was a minimum amount of times that during the interview, you had to refer to Gordy Howe as not Gordy Howe, but Mr. Hockey, Gordy Howe. Like that was a piece of, and albeit brilliant, marketing by the Howe camp around Gordy. Like he was great enough. Like Gordy's one of the, no surprise, like Gordy's one of the best ever. Mm-hmm. Like that's obvious. Um, was he as great as some people make him out to be? Was he as tough? as some make him out to be when you talk to some of the old timers from that era and people that were around to watch all of it, maybe, but there's no doubt that the marking around it and a lot of it revolved around the nickname being Mr. Hockey. That was a key piece. And I I just, I saw it and I thought to myself, like that is a wonderful bit of, that was a wonderful bit of marketing around Gordy Howe. But to the hockey reference question, what are some of your favorite NHL nicknames? Do you have one that comes to your mind, Maddie? I got a story here for you when you're when you're done. So I was actually, as you were mentioning that, I was going through what people had commented on and their favorites, mm-hmm. and I have a new favorite based on what I just saw. Um, how about? Oh no, what? How about Alf the Embalmer? Ever heard that one? Alf the Embalmer? Yeah, former Ranger Alf Hang Pike. On. Was a left wing. Yeah, Alfie Pike. Yeah, uh, he was. Uh, Why did they was, call him Alf the Embalmer? He was a licensed mortician. <laughs> Man, after my own heart. Man, I used to work at a cemetery for years. So I would I. go back tomorrow. Like one day, I'm gonna get fired, and I'm going right back to the cemetery. <laughs> I'm going right back to working at the cemetery. It was. Uh, it was I know great. You, you. You and I have had have had similar experiences. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, I was I used to work at Park Lawn in the west end of the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Con Smythe was buried there. Harold Ballard, yes, helped throw dirt on the coffin, was buried there uh, as well. Um, who else was buried there? There's a few other random Maple Leafs players. The Sutherlands, 
Donald and Kiefer have a plot there as well because they're from uh, Etobicoke, mm-hmm. uh, Ontario. They're there. So that was those are Gordon Sinclair, legendary for anyone listening in Toronto right now, the legendary voice of, of Gordon Sinclair. Um, where the entire city would stop every day. It was at 11.45 to listen to his commentaries. He was buried there as well. Um, I kind of have a fascination about old cemeteries. Me too. Um, whenever I'm driving through the country, I don't, you're, you're, are you the same? Like you'll yeah. stop and go read all the stones. Mm-hmm. Still, the funniest stone that I ever saw is one guy had written above his name, uh, as as like had his um, the year he was born. His dash didn't have his death year, but had his name and a couple things written about him as well. And over top of his name, he had written in quotations, "I told you I was sick," <laughs> which still to me is the funniest <laughs> tombstone I've ever seen in my. Life, like, tell me that guy didn't have the best sense of humor of all time. Uh, the embalmer is good for Alfie Pike, but mine was Bun Cook of the Cook Brothers of Kingston. And here's Bill and Bun now, Bill and Bun. So, Bill and Bun were uh, on, a, on, a, on a line, uh, the bread line with uh, Frank Boucher, the New York Rangers. They were, I don't know if they were the ones that created it, these were certainly the first to popularize the drop pass. That was the Cook Brothers. But Bun Cook, everyone thought that his nickname was, this is a great story, everyone thought that his nickname was Bun because he was fast and he was a good skater and he was fast as a bunny and everyone thought that that's where the nickname came from until his wife gave him up and said, that's not where the nickname comes from. She said his nickname was Bun because he had a big nose like a dinner roll. So we started calling him Bun in honor of his nose. <laughs> Bun Cook's wife just giving him up. No, he's got a big nose like a dinner roll. That's why we call him Bun oh, Cook. Oh, man, that's great. There you go. That's That might be my favorite. Anyway, uh, what do you got cooking today? What's uh, what's on your menu for hockey? So, I, know you're all, I, I know you're all footballed out after your show, but you got a little love for hockey still? I, I still have some love for hockey. Can we call the Thursday game between the San Jose Sharks and the Edmonton Oilers the loser leaves town match, please? Can we start referring to it as Not that? Yet. Not yet. Because no, they should both no, be relegated still, right again. now. Oh, man, if there was relegation. <laughs> there first, I want to get into San Jose with you. I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, not yet because the Vancouver Canucks understood the assignment. Now you need the Philadelphia Flyers to understand the True. assignment tonight as well. True. The Flyers have to win. Yes. Like going into that game to really maximize the potential – of, of awesomeness for that one is Philly has to win because San Jose has got to go into that one without a win. They've got to go, they got to have a big bagel to start their record. Yeah, I would agree. If you think with it's that. bad now in Edmonton, Maddie, like if, if San Jose hands Edmonton, you know, if, oh, sorry, if Edmonton hands San Jose their first win, oh, oh it's, out. But it again, is, it is absolute have, we, chaos. We Still have to get there. Philadelphia needs to understand the assignment here. Here, Here's one thing that, that I, I kind of looked at sideways yesterday when the news came out about Mike Greer, general manager of the San Jose Sharks, addressing, um, addressing his team and talking about there are things that we won't tolerate here. <laughs> That's rich. <laughs> they were designed to be bad. And now we're just quibbling about how bad they are. It's like, like the Greer go in and say, like, look, this team was constructed to be bad, but we didn't want you to be this bad. Yeah, don't make it so like, obvious. You've understood the assignment too well. Like, yeah, you know, we'd like, you know, it'd be a lottery team here, but, like, let's not make it too obvious here, boys. But that's the thing. Like, this this team is, like, deeply flawed at a, at a number of different positions. So I, I, I kind of, like, not that I had a laugh, but I kind of wondered, like, what is the point of that conversation? It's like, Mike, you made this team. Mike, this is the team you're taking to market. Mike, this is the team that you're sending into the season. What did you think was going to happen? You know, like if I'm, if, if I'm, uh, how do I say it? Okay, Maddie, if I'm, if it's a summer day, mid-July, and I'm sitting on a park bench mm-hmm. and I'm thirsty and I'm going to go to the water fountain and have a drink of water and I leave my wallet on the park bench and go have a drink of water and come back and my wallet's gone. Now it's, you know, it's wrong that someone took it, but I think you have the right to look at me and say, Jeff, like, what were you thinking? What did you expect yeah. to happen? Like, do you not get that sense that when you look at the roster, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Well, if this team was going to be competitive. Well, seriously. So I, 
I mean, part of me is like, and I say this tongue in cheek, it's like, well, that sounds like a, a Mike Greer justification for the salary for the week um, because the team's not performing and you knew that they weren't very good. I just, it feels kind of rich to me for him to say these things about the team and then it's like, what well, you built it. Like, if you wanted us to be even slightly better, then you should have brought in one or two better players. Um, I also think that somebody needs to tell the San Jose Sharks that Connor Bedard is already a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, so you can't tank for him. So that's already <laughs> so that's already been done. But I just... No, it's Celebrini. It's, yeah. it's Macklin Celebrini. Yes, it is. It for. is. But I, I, I don't know. I have a really hard time with that because... I don't think that the players are trying to lose here because a lot of them are playing for jobs. I don't jobs, think so either. Right? Like, what, what do we always I, say? What do we always say? The teams, the, the players don't care about green bananas. They want to win now because it's like, I don't care yeah. about prospects and I don't care about this. Like, and especially on this team, there are a lot of guys that may not have NHL jobs next year. So it's not like they're not trying. They are just not good enough as a unit. So for Mike Greer to go in there and kind of, you know, blow smoke and everything, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's I feel like that's the wrong way to go about it. Like, what did you accomplish by doing that? Do you think they're going to go out and play? So they're going to win one game out of their next six instead of zero. Wow, big deal. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You still stink, and it's not getting any better. What did, Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe aren't walking through that door. So I, I don't get it. I, I don't know the justification for it. You look at their blue line. Mario Ferraro, who I like. King City uh, boy. Ty Emerson, Mark Edward Vlasic. He's a King City. That's right. He's from your hometown. He's a King City guy. Uh, Kyle Burrows, Nikita Ahochuk, and Jan Ruda. Yeah, that's that's rough. That sounds like my, my men's league blue line. It's tough, man. Like, I, I don't know what you expect. Like, don't lose 10-2, lose 10-5. <laughs> or 8-1 or eight, or eight instead of 10-1. Like, <laughs> who cares? It's still bad. Those poor goalies, by the way. Dave Quinn is not coaching to lose. None no. of these players are playing to lose. This one is at the feet of the manager. This is the team you made. Much like in The Godfather, this is the business we chose. This is the team you made. Now, I understand that the owner, Hassel Plattner, is not thrilled about any of this. And maybe this is where a lot of it comes from. I think that he signed up for a little bit of a step backwards, but not a leap backwards. Yeah, not and a meltdown. I know rebuilds or bunny hops, I get it. But I don't think that the owner thought this was going to happen. I don't think anyone in the organization thought this was going to happen. But to go scream at your players... Or talk about, you know, things that you won't tolerate. I don't know. Part of that rings a little bit, rings a little bit hollow, considering this is the team that you've you've decided to take to market. Like, you'll feel good about it in June. Trust me. You'll feel good about the season in June at the draft, whether it's everybody together or it's a decentralized situation, whether you're at the Sphere uh, or you're in San Jose on Zoom. You're going to feel good about it in June. It's just getting there is going to be real, real awful. And considering what this lineup is, Maddie, I don't see a way out. No. No, I don't either. I don't and see, like, Nico, Nico Sturm going to turn into a different player. Michael Granlund going to turn into a, a different player here. You know, Kevin LeBanc going to turn into a different player. Mark Edward Vlasic going to turn into a different player. No, I don't see it. No, and I, I, you know, I, my biggest question is, is I know, and I know he's played one more game than the entire San Jose Sharks roster, but I'm curious to see how much longer Austin Matthews can outscore that team. <laughs> I know it's all that stuff's bad, bad, bad. bad. I know. And I, after 11 games, dash 43 worst first 11 games in the history of the NHL for goal differential. It's all bad, 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 bad. Yeah. None of it's good, but tonight they'll face off against the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, and again, if you cheer for chaos, you're cheering for the Florida Panthers this evening. All right, uh, we'll hit a break here. Uh, thanks, Maddie, as always. Eric Engel stops by from Sportsnet.ca. He's got a really interesting piece on Sean Monahan available at Sportsnet.ca. And uh, we'll talk to him about uh, Yuri Slavkovsky and Waze. 
and Marty St. Louis and Waze. If you don't already use that, have a snoop around. Uh, we'll talk about the traffic app and we'll talk about Slavkovsky. Do it all with Eric Engels with Sportsnet.ca in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and your favorite podcast platform. There we go. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We have a lot to get into here with uh, Eric Engels from Sportsnet.ca as it relates to the 5-4-2 Montreal Canadiens. We'll talk about Sean Monaghan. Excellent piece Eric has available at Sportsnet.ca and Yuri Slavkovsky. But Eric, uh, as we bring you in here to the program, uh, what does the navigation app Waze have to do with the Montreal Canadiens and Yuri Slavkovsky? I love this story. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny. I was just uh, I was just out for lunch with Michael Farber talking about this uh, and all things going on around the team, um, which is always special, you know, when you get to have lunch with Michael, uh, one of the best, totally well, probably, love Farber. probably the best storyteller yes. ever in our game. Love him. Um, love him. Love him. Look, uh, if Marty St. Louis yesterday had just said, look, development takes time and you're dealing with a 19-year-old who's going to get frustrated along the way and this is part of the process and when he hits a pothole, you know, you you want to be there to help him patch up the tire, whatever it is. I don't know if it gets as much attention, but when Marty goes on a long-winded kind of thing that he clearly wanted to get out and it was probably less related to what he was asked and just a message he wanted to share – I think it was so easy to get wrapped up in the content of what he's saying about how, you know, sometimes you get in your car and you put a nice address into ways to a nice destination and then you get rerouted or you hit traffic. Uh, do you just pack it up and go home? No, you, you take the reroute and find your way back to the destination you were going to. And I don't know how long it'll take your eyes, Lafkowski, to get to the destination, but he's going to a nice one and we're going to help him along the way as he hits traffic or misses an exit. Um, I'm summarizing, but that's the gist of what he said, and it, it's very easy to get wrapped up in it because it's a beautiful analogy. What I took from it is when you hear Marty communicate in such fashion, you get a much greater understanding of how he communicates with his players and why you're why Slavkovsky, a big part of the reason why he's in Montreal, in the NHL, with the Canadians because to have him under Marty St. Louis' watch is going to help him navigate those potholes and the missed exits and the traffic. Yeah. The um, the the problem for Slavkovsky, as we saw last season, and I want to talk about Suzuki and Caulfield and that line here in a couple of seconds, was you know those potholes were um, shoulders uh, from players on the opposite team that he was you know looking for loose change on the ice too many times and unfortunately paid the price for it. Uh, have you seen a marked improvement in his ability to keep his chin up? Yes, and uh, it's too bad he had to take the hard knocks to learn from it, but you think about your Slavkovsky's road to the NHL was paved by him being a six foot three, two 238 pound 17 18 year old who was playing in leagues where he could do things individually and never have to think about somebody matching up physically and putting him in that type of position where he'd be vulnerable and it's a quick lesson that he has learned uh i don't i wouldn't sit here and suggest that he's never going to get blown up again by a hit um, one of the biggest things I've seen in terms of improvements from Slavkovsky, which is obviously blurred by the by the production not being quite at the level that Canadians fans would like to see, um, he's just so much more aware on the ice in general in terms of his positioning and where the game needs to take him and where it should want him to go. And as a result, he has the puck on his stick more often. Uh, what he does with it is going to be the next phase of his development and that's what Marty St. Louis is working on with him. But really what the Canadians want to see is him touching the puck a lot more often in a game. Uh, and then they'll worry about what he does with it. Montreal faces off against the Tampa Bay Lightning this evening in conversation with Eric Engels. Uh, one, one more quick point here on, on Yuri Slavkovsky. 
Um, a couple of things. When Kirby Doc went down with his knee injury, A, I think all of our first thoughts were with Kirby Doc, and that sucks that he's going to miss the season. Uh, and two, the other player that it seemed to, that we all wondered how much will this impact his season now is Yuri Slavkovsky. Now he finds himself on the top line with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, but, you know, when Kirby Doc went down, how quickly did your attention turn to Yuri Slavkovsky and what his, what the remainder of his season was going to look like? Pretty quickly, because as I was sitting and talking to Slavkovsky about it, pretty, pretty much the day after Doc, uh, it was announced that he was hurt, and I put that report out that he had the ACL and MCL damaged on the, in that collision with Jared Tenorti. You know, I said uh, Alex Newhook jumps into that spot with his speed and his ability. You know, like uh, how much is there really going to change? And he said, well. You know, Kirby was doing all the heavy lifting on our line. We just had to be in the right places to take advantage of it, something to that uh, effect. And right. he was right. I mean, just Kirby Doc, I think last year was a a big change in his development, and this year really appeared poised to break out. And it's a shame what happened to him so early and the luck that he's had throughout his career, which is not very much. Uh, it's been bad luck. And, um, yeah, I, I think... Yuri was definitely going to be affected by that, but not just him. Like Suzuki, the effect on Suzuki yeah. is significant in terms of just having the rollover of lines and, and that ancillary benefit of detracting a bit from the matchups. Um, but with every challenge comes opportunity as well, both for Slavkovsky and for Suzuki, who will probably become a better player because of the adversity he faces with Doc at the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am curious about this line uh, with uh, with uh, Caulfield and Suzuki. My my first thought is, you know what, like you know Eric at like the the U eleven level in hockey, you know that one kid who has the first growth spurt and he's playing on a line where he's like head and shoulders larger than both the other two players on that line. I mean, Caulfield's what five seven and Suzuki is you know st- still under under six feet is uh, on his own as well. That's that's what it looks like to me. The, the question I have is how determined, because we all know this is still about development and the next phase of the rebuild, how determined are the Montreal Canadiens to making this combination work? Uh, the U11 line with uh, two kids at regular size and then the first kid that had the growth spurt. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'd love to see it work um, because it's a, it's a glimpse into the future or, or getting to the future a little faster. Um, it's funny that you mention it this way because it was a normal reaction to seeing Slavkovsky finally there on Saturday for the first time in his career uh, and the timing of it to say, okay, this kid had a bit of a crisis of confidence. This is an immediate shot in the arm and boom, first shift of the game. He has a great touch and makes a great play and scores four minutes into the game, albeit on the power play with Alex Newhook. But the game as it evolved, uh, he was one of the strongest players on the ice for the Canadians in a game where they obviously weren't very good. And uh, his line was, was quite effective with Caulfield and Suzuki. And what I was thinking and asking Marty mm-hmm. St. Louis about after the game was, how does this guy help those two players? Because it's very easy to look at how they help him. But I think, you know, speaking yeah. with Suzuki, saying having a big guy uh, who can get to the net and complete some of the plays because he has scoring ability, but also a left-hand shot, um, whereas they were playing with a righty and Josh Anderson for a lot of the season, opens up different possibilities for them from a creative standpoint. I think he could complete their line well and bring something better out of Caulfield and Suzuki also. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as a as a left hand shot playing the right side, I'm guessing you know the the thinking in the offensive zone is whenever you get it, shoot. You know, like you're you're in the shooter's position, stick in the middle here. Uh, we're not worried so much about the wall. Your stick's in the middle, so when we get the puck on your stick, just fire it. Is that accurate? Probably, but I think it's more than that. I think Marty Saint Louis really likes the idea of players playing on their opposite wings in terms of the way they shoot. I mean, Brendan Gallagher was a right winger before he came here and played a lot on the left since. Cole Caulfield was a right winger who's played almost exclusively on the left wing under Martin St. Louis, and I don't think anybody would argue that's not working out well. Um, you know, this is a thing that he likes to do. So uh, it's I think it's more than just opening up shot possibilities, but I think it opens up vision 
uh, and different perspectives in terms of offensive creation. It, it, it what it does too, and we first saw this phenomenon um, of you know sticks in the middle in the offensive zone with the Soviets in the early seventies, where traditional Canadian slash American hockey was if you're a right hand shot you are on the right side, we're keeping the puck away from defensemen when we do entries when we're in the offensive zone we're trying to keep the puck away from defenders, and then the Soviets said nah we get in the offensive zone we want to shoot thank you very much and it took a while but finally uh, North America in at various places in various stages sort of uh, adopted that philosophy um real quick christian dvorak uh returns to the 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 lineup here a a shot in the arm and listen just flat out happy um that he's back you never want to see anyone go through what uh, dvorak has gone through with the injuries Uh, how much of a factor will dvorak be for the habs down the stretch here well it just it opens up rather yeah, it, it opens up options for the Canadians, right? Like, he comes back into the middle of the ice, and Newhook, who is a natural centerman, gets an opportunity to play with a little bit less responsibility from the wing. Uh, it opens up options if they decide that Sean Monaghan, who's centering Brendan Gallagher and Tanner Pearson on the line, that's really been excellent for the Canadians. If they choose to disrupt that, they could slide Dvorak in there without too much of a change in terms of the style. I, I'm not putting Dvorak and Monahan in the same category because I think Monahan has, has been effective to the point where I don't know that uh, Dvorak has the same versatility in his game, but Monahan is also a good fit with Caulfield and Suzuki if they choose to go down that road and it doesn't work with Slavkovsky long-term. And Marty believes he has a lot of options within this Canadian lineup, especially up front, and Dvorak opens up more of them. There's no question. As for what he could do personally, you know, he's always been a pretty steady, reliable face-off guy. He has some unheralded offense in him and offense that he needs to get to more than he has since he's joined the Canadians. I think he has that ability. He was a really good player in Phoenix before coming mm-hmm. to Montreal. Um, you know, one of the things that I would say since he's been here is there's been too many nights where he just hasn't been a factor, either negative or positive. Uh, that needs to change, especially with Doc out and especially with Newhook and Anderson having trouble producing right now. He's centering those two guys and has to be able to do his job effectively and be noticeable on the ice uh, to help them produce because the Canadians are going to need that production. Uh, I have a question about Jake Allen, but before we get there, and just a couple of uh, minutes left with you, really enjoyed your piece on Sean Monaghan. Um, that's excellent. I think in anyone who knows Sean Monaghan uh, is really happy for him and how he's producing 10 points in 11 games, uh, six goals so far this season. As you point out, he's getting a lot of special teams love, uh, not just on the power play, but on the penalty kill as well. It's just nice to watch. Like He was never a burner. Like He's not Pavel Bure. Um, but the Monaghan that we've watched try to get around the ice in the last few seasons at times has been painful to watch. And knowing the kind of pain that he's been going through, we understand it. Um, but it just looks like he's like he's just skating easier now. And we all know how talented Monaghan is and how much of a discount uh, he took on his contract this season. Just do you have a, a thought or a couple of things you want to draw our attention to from your piece at sportsnet.ca about Sean Monaghan? Just how much he appreciates what's going on right now. You know, it's easy to take it for granted when you've done it for long enough. And he just appreciates being healthy, appreciates playing the game at the level he's playing it. And I don't know about you, I'm taking a player who plays fast over one who skates fast any day of the week. Uh, and that's Sean Monaghan. He yep. plays fast. Mark Stone doesn't skate fast. He plays fast. Um, there's plenty of guys who skate extremely fast who don't play fast. And I, I just, Monaghan's versatility to me. Yeah. Monaghan's versatility to me is so valuable and I just think to see him averaging 19 and a half minutes a game basically is tells you everything and then mm-hmm. one thing that I think is a big factor here is he didn't just spend time recovering from groin surgery over the summer he had time to strengthen himself for the first time in like three four years and that's a factor in those yep. starts that he's gotten off to also just watching him with Gallagher and Pearson, all three of those guys have been really good for the Canadians. They play the game in such a simple, straightforward manner that sets an example for some of the more skilled players on this team that want to play it, making highlight reel plays and passes and the trouble that that can get you into. They're, they're a good example for this team to draw from. That's a, that's an excellent point. Um, 
Jake Allen is having a really nice season. Jake Allen's save percentage is 927. You know, there are a lot of teams. Well, as a matter of fact, there's one in Alberta that we seem to talk a lot about, and we talked a lot about coming off of the loss last night against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, do you know offhand how many teams, if teams, have already called about Jake Allen? There's definitely some conversation around him, and if I were Ken Holland, I'd be on the phone. Uh, and I can't think of a better example of a guy who could potentially bring some stability to Edmonton's crease while bringing a, a, along a guy like Stuart Skinner and putting a bit more pre- putting a bit of pressure off of him. One thing we don't talk enough about with Jake Allen outside of Montreal, because it's certainly well discussed in this market, is how valuable an asset he is within a locker room, how much experience he's gained, how much perspective he has. He's a brilliant guy who has a certain future in our business beyond yeah. the crease or yes. in the continued business of being a coach or a GM. I speculate on my own here in terms of fit with Edmonton. They need to send a contract back with Jake making $3.8 million. I really wonder yep. if along with plucking a prospect out, if there was a potential deal to be made here, the Canadians would take a guy like Connor Brown and if Edmonton be, would be willing to give him up. We talk about... Uh, Montreal's first line with Suzuki and Caulfield and a guy who could be a placeholder within that realm and play a simple complementary style. That's a guy who really stands out to me and the way his contract is structured could present problems for Edmonton if they want to add to their crease. I don't think there's any question they have to do something right now and I don't know what option would be available to them that would be better than Allen. The only cautionary thing I would say is one of the reasons... I think his numbers are where they're at and the way his performance has been. He's playing a little less frequently. We've seen him suffer some injuries over the last couple of years where he might have been overtaxed a little bit and that contributed. They, If they bring him in in Edmonton, I don't know if they can ride him every single game that they play, but they can ease the pressure on a guy like Skinner and get a guy who in my opinion is better than both the guys they have right now and could be a stabilizing force both on the ice and off of it. Really thorough. Uh, as always, uh, direct our listeners and viewers to uh, sportsnet.ca to read Eric's latest on Sean Monahan tonight. It is Montreal facing off against Tampa. Yes, Marty St. Louis' old team. Uh, one of 10, game, 10 games on the board around the NHL. Eric, always a pleasure, man. You be good. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Eric Engels from sportsnet.ca filling us in on the Montreal Canadiens. A couple of quick notes here. I know we've made a lot about you know the San Jose-Philadelphia Flyers game, and for good reason for what it may entail afterwards. Sammy Erston gets a start uh, against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, this is from Kevin Kurz. Uh, John Tortorella saying Sean Couturier back in tonight. As I mentioned, Erston is in net. Uh, Cal Peterson backing up. Morgan Frost out. Victor Mete out. UC Saros gets a start tonight against the Calgary Flames. Adam Rzichka will return to the Calgary Flames lineup. Uh, thanks to everyone who took part in today's program. Uh, we kicked it off with Elliot Friedman, then Dan Dunleavy and George Richards and Eric Engels. Our supervising producer, Matt Marchese. Our producer, David Sis, Lance Kennedy working the board. And General Nick making it look good for the magic eyeball. We're back tomorrow. More of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and your favorite podcast platform. Talk tomorrow.